Hey guys, I'm Barley, and this is Story Avenue. What is up, people? This is Barley, and we're at Story Avenue Podcast. Hello, welcome back. This week is going to be the Toy Box Killer case. Um, Super gross. So, without further ado, we will get right into it. So, we're going to start off with David Parker Ray, known as the Toy Box Killer. And the first time I heard this story was years ago. And it just never left my mind. And I've always wanted to cover it. And I figured now is the best time to cover it. Really no good reason. Just time to cover it. And it's going to be rough. So, warning. So, we're going to start at the beginning. David Parker Ray. He was born on July 6, 1939. And he had a pretty tough childhood. No surprise there. He lived with his mom's parents on a ranch, and they were a lower-income family, so they didn't really have a lot. But he lived there with his younger sister, Peggy. His abusive alcoholic dad wasn't around a lot either, like his mom. His mom, I couldn't find anything about his mom, so I think she just up and vanished and dropped her kids off at her parents' house. But, you know, to each their own, whatever. So... His abusive alcoholic dad wasn't around, but when he did randomly show up, he would be drunk and he would just pretty much start fights with the family, drop off a bag of magazines for David, and dip on out. So cool parenting. Great. And these weren't your typical um, sports magazines, not your like people in touch magazines. No, no. Oh no, they were sadomasochistic magazines. I have a hard time saying that word, but BDSM magazines, torture porn magazines, um, showing images of women being tied up and tortured. So like, cool, cool. Love that for young David. And later on, David would get bullied a lot in high school um, because he was a very shy person. He kind of like retrieved inside himself. And he was very shy, especially around girls. And like, no wonder when your first introduction to sex and thinking about girls are seeing those types of magazines as a kid, which doesn't give you the greatest start. So we had a hard time in school and he would really start to learn to journal a lot to kind of escape his home life. So when he was 14, he would develop these fantasies about raping and torturing these women even murdering women and he would draw out these fantasies so um uh, not your typical art project from a kid and one day his sister came across these drawings and even though she was absolutely terrified she didn't tell anyone about it so cool cool no one did anything about it about these creepy creepy drawings from creepy young david But she kind of just stayed away from him, kind of ignored it, probably ignored him, and pretended like she didn't see what she just saw. 
So uh, after high school, he joined the U.S. Army, where he was a general mechanic and received an honorable discharge. I'm not sure why he left, but he decided it was time for him to leave. And then he began to work as a maintenance guy for a New Mexico Parks Department in the city called Truth or Consequence, which I thought was a hilarious name for a city, Truth or Consequence. It was located about five miles from Elephant Butte, which is also a hilarious name. Uh, David was married and divorced four glorious times. He had two kids, David Jr. and a daughter, Glenda. Uh, But she went by the name Jesse, Jesse Ray. And he was very close to Jesse. Mm-hmm. David continued to journal a lot in his adulthood, and these journals definitely come up later. And during this time, he met a lady named Cindy Hindi. Very special lady. And in 1997, when she was working at a state park in Truth or Consequences, and I'm not sure if they're working at the same park and that's where they met, but she was working at a state park. And just a little bit about this lady friend of his is she was in New Mexico apparently fleeing grand theft and drug charges from Washington State. I can't confirm or deny that, but that's what I read about our friend Cindy Hindi. You can say that they were a pretty good match for each other because she also fantasized about bondage and torture, including rape. And now to talk about Cindy's upbringing, because it was not a solid one either. So Cindy was born in 1960, which made her about 20 years younger than David. And when she grew up, she grew up with her alcoholic mom, who often let Cindy go hungry as a kid, which is really awful and really sad. She would witness her mom being abused by her boyfriends often, and when her mom married to who seemed like a really decent guy when Cindy was just 11. She said she was woken up in her sleep to her mother's drunk husband crawling into her bed in the middle of the night, attempting to rape Cindy. And when Cindy finally had the courage to tell her mom about it, her mom chose, mm, you guessed it, not to believe her and stuck with her husband. And they kicked Cindy out of the house when she was just 12 years old. That's when she would end up dating drug dealers out on the street, experimenting with drugs as well. And when she was older, she really enjoyed violent, aggressive sex that included rape fantasies. Now, Cindy had found her way to New Mexico and is living with David. They do only end up dating for eight months when this is all said and done. And when everything came to an end, everything including the kidnappings, the torture, the murders, and the horror. So let's start at the beginning. And this is the beginning of the whole end. And it starts on March 22nd, 1999. 911 dispatchers received a series of calls reporting a woman who was frantically trying to stop cars on a street begging for help in Elephant Butte. This woman was Cynthia Vigil. She was naked, terrified for her life, and she had a metal collar on around her neck with a five-foot chain. She was covered in blood. So two days earlier when she was working as a sex worker and she was told a man in an RV wanted to hire her for her services. So as she headed inside the RV, 
and as soon as the door shut, she was face to face with a man who pulled out a badge saying she was under arrest and was claiming to be an undercover police officer. This guy was David Parker Ray. And when she turned to the door to run out, which um, I can totally understand why you would just dip on out because first, you can't be arrested unless it's proven and money is exchanged to be arrested for prostituting. She didn't have like drugs on her, so you can't just get arrested for drug charges. So I don't know why this guy thought he could just like go ahead and arrest her because she stepped into his RV. And I'm picturing this RV being like the RV that was in Breaking Bad, just like super old and crusty and gross. Because David's that type of guy. He's pretty much just like a walking cigarette, a human cigarette, if you will. So as she turns to the door to run out, she explains, as soon as my fingertips were on that door handle, he grabbed me and he was able to put a handcuff on one hand and called out for someone named Cindy. She said Cindy then appeared out from a curtain with a cattle prod. And Cynthia said, as soon as he put those handcuffs on me, I knew something was wrong. Uh, yeah. Gross. You're in this nasty RV with a guy claiming to be an undercover police officer and then calling this woman who comes out behind a curtain with a cattle prod. I cannot believe the fear that's going on in Cynthia's head. Cindy then took that cattle prod and shocked Cynthia in the neck. She could feel herself wanting to pass out from the pain, but she tried her best to stay with it and to stay strong. They handcuffed her to a cabinet, and they started driving down the road. Cynthia refused to pass out from the pain, the fear, and the shock. She was squatting while trying her best to wiggle out from the cabinet, and after a while, she was able to actually break free but she knew she had to wait for them to slow down and decided at the exact moment she felt right she was going to jump out the window because she knew she couldn't just jump headfirst out the window when they were driving full speed. And I'm assuming they were driving like maniacs. So as soon as she's waiting for them, they unexpectedly slammed on their brakes and she tumbled forward, which made like a clashing sound and that got Cindy's attention. So David quickly pulled off to the side of the road and they drug her into the bedroom where they shackled her arms and legs to the bed. They also wrapped her head around in duct tape. Like completely wrapped her entire head around with duct tape. They realized Cynthia couldn't breathe like that because there's duct tape literally wrapped around her head. So they took the duct tape off and replaced it with a leather mask. A fucking leather mask because that's just what people have in their RVs. So now tied to the bed by her arms and legs, they started driving again. And she said it felt like they were driving forever. At one point, she could feel the motorhome pull off to the side. And she knew David was pumping gas. And I'm sure she felt an immense feeling of being overwhelmed and scared. And knowing that there's other people around. And they have no idea that she's handcuffed to this bed. So as she's laying there, Cindy actually then decided to sit back there with her and make sure she didn't escape. And Cynthia thought if she could talk to Cindy as woman to woman with hopes that she would let her go, she was going to try. But that wasn't the case with Cindy Hindi. When they arrived to David's house, they backed as far as they can with the motorhome up to her house, up to his house, and they walked her there with a gun to her back. 
and she was completely naked. They made her lay down on a bed while she was handcuffed, and then they put a metal shock collar that had a chain that was bolted onto the wall, and David then pulls out a tape player and plays this tape. I'm going to read a little bit about this tape. A couple reasons. Uh, It's really gross. And it's super odd that he did this. You can go online and read transcripts of it. You can hear his voice on this tape. So I'm just going to read a little bit about it. Again, it's really gross. So it's going to start off saying, Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared, too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and you need to listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993. This is in 1999, and he made this tape in 1993. As a general advisory tape for future female captives, the information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If, at a future date, there are any major changes in our procedures, the tape will be upgraded. Now, you're obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and you know you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think that you're going to be raped and you're fucking sure right about that. I, our primary interest is what you've got in between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because basically you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated, but we do it all the time. Gross! So what's even crazier is that they were just acting normal while this tape was playing. And why Cynthia is chained up to her bed listening. They were just going on about their day, acting as if she wasn't even there. When the tape was over, and it was nighttime, they casually just put on a movie, and then when the movie was over, they just went to bed. Didn't even talk to Cynthia. Nothing. And she's just laying there on the bed in the living room. Cynthia tried not to fall asleep, but she was completely exhausted and now going through drug withdrawals. The next day, they brought her into the toy box and tied her up to what looked like a massage table or a gynecologist table, which I, it was like a mixture of both. Definitely handmade. And she starts to notice all of David's gadgets in there. And I have a list of what he had in this so-called toy box. So what was in his toy box were whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, leg spreaders, surgical blades, electric shock machines, and saws. Also along with those items were numerous sex toys, torture implements, syringes, and detailed diagrams showing ways of inflicting pain. There was a homemade electrical generator to electrocute his victims. In total, he has spent about 100000 on his trailer. 
overkill and a freak. They then hung her from the ceiling and began to whip her over and over while using sex toys on her. When she's lowered back down and tied to the table, they attached clamps to her body and started shocking her with that cattle prod. They then attached her limbs to change chains. And it was those type of like, I don't even know what they're called. It's a device to when she flinches or she tries to move, the machine will then start to stretch her body out limb by limb she said she could feel the breast muscles on her stretching out and it was beyond painful when they were done torturing her they bring her back into the house and they make her lay on the floor they then poured hot gravy on her and they made their dog lick it off they also tried to get their dog to do other stuff to her I'm not going to repeat what that was. I have dogs and I cannot imagine someone doing this. But thankfully, the dog didn't participate and just licked the gravy off of her. They then left her on the floor for a while and the dog actually laid next to her and she just felt so gross and so used at this point. So defeated and confused. And then they changed her, they chained her back to the bed and then they just went to bed. And that was the end of day two. So as she's laying there with handcuffs on her wrists, turning into hamburger meat, still completely naked, no blankets on a bare mattress, she's doing her best to stay calm. But she can't help to think how weird this whole situation was. How terrifying, how odd these people were. She explains it wasn't just scary, it was just bizarre. They didn't beat me the whole time, but they were holding me captive. And when they weren't torturing me, they just ignored me and act like I wasn't even there. She said one point, Cindy just gave her a can of water chestnuts. <laughs> Which, <laughs> they look like the type of couple, I don't mean to laugh, but they look like the type of couple that would just have cans of water chestnuts and wouldn't know what to do with them. She said Cindy would treat her or threaten her with a gun, telling her she better not turn David on or she'll have to kill her. And Cindy was just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because first of all, I'm naked, so it's not my fault if that's what happens. Second of all, control your man. Why is this? Why are you getting mad at me? He kidnapped me and you're his girlfriend. You're a weird, a weird walking cigarette she said when t one time Cindy got so mad at her, she yanked her off the bed. But with that collar being chained to the wall, she like just got like snagged. And it was so jolting, it made her cough and gag. And she said that made Cindy laugh because she thought it was funny. So Cindy seems like a bitch. So now it's day three and David goes to work. And Cynthia said she was just laying on the bed, that gross bed next to their gross couch that Cindy was sitting on, watching soap operas, chain-smoking cigarettes for hours, when her phone began to ring, and she seemed pretty excited about this phone call. So she jumped up and walked down the hall to the back room. And Cynthia, laying there, noticed on the coffee table 
were the keys to her chains. So Cynthia was able to stretch her legs out of this leg spreader they attached to her and pull her foot under that coffee table and pull it closer to her. And she was able to grab those keys off. She quietly pushed the table back to where it was. But she said when she did that, it kind of went back at an angle. But she knew this was her time to escape. So with those keys in her hands, she curled up and she started scanning through all these keys on this keychain, which apparently had a shitload of keys on it. When she was going through the keys, Cindy was coming back into the room and she started yelling, hey, stop, bitch. And as she's running over to Cynthia, she grabs a lamp, a glass lamp. And while running over to Cynthia, she started hitting her over the head with it and then started hitting her over the back with it. This lamp was completely shattered at this point. But that didn't faze Cynthia. She was able to break free and she grabbed an ice pick that was casually on that coffee table and she jabbed it right into Cindy's head. And then she was able to grab Cindy's phone and dial 911. But then Cindy smacked her in the face and she dropped the phone. And then there was a small scuffle but then Cynthia was able to push Cindy off of her and run out the door. Cynthia now sprints outside. She sees a car and she tries to wave them down, but they roll up the windows and they drive off. So she runs across the four-way intersection and runs into a trailer. And she said there was a whole line of trailers, but for some reason she needed to go into this trailer. So she runs inside and there was an older lady standing there just doing dishes. That lady then calls 911. And she says, I'm calling for this lady who's covered in blood. She says she's been held captive for three days. That would give anyone the chills. She yells for her husband to grab her robe out of the bedroom and covers her up. And she's like, oh my God, they're going to get me. Please shut the door. Help me, help me, help me. They're going to get me. So he grabs his shotgun and he tells her she's safe now and they won't come for you anymore. And she just cowardly hides under the table, waiting for the police to arrive, finally feeling safe. So when Cynthia, Cynthia first grabbed the phone to call 911 back at David's house, the dispatcher could hear the fight, and then the call was disconnected. Now, the dispatcher actually decided to call the phone back, and that's when Cindy answered. And she, they called right after Cynthia ran out the door. And she answered pretty annoyed, saying everything was fine. But the dispatcher was like, no, not everything is fine, and sent police over there anyways. So good on her. Good on that dispatcher. When police showed up at the trailer to get Cynthia, she was terrified to even let the police through the door. And when she walked out, she pointed to one of them and said, he's one of you. Which is also so sad. They took her to the hospital where they actually had to get a maintenance guy to cut off that metal collar. And when he finally cut it off, Cynthia just threw it across the room. And at that moment, she was able to relax and breathe. So back at David's house, when the police showed up, they went inside and they could see what had taken place. They could see where the fight was, broken glass. And when they kind of just started looking around, they discovered the gadgets of David's and all his sex toys and torture devices and they knew this was fucked. 
and they radioed in this station because this was a small town and they knew exactly who had lived there and they knew who they were looking for and they found them just a block up the road david parker ray and cindy hindi in that crusty rv and they were searching for cynthia they immediately arrested them but what was really fucked up about this whole situation is when Cynthia arrived at the hospital, Cindy arrived there shortly after being arrested because of the head wound she had from the ice pick. And when they saw each other, Cynthia started freaking out. And Cindy pointed and yelled at her, don't listen to her, she's on drugs. And Cynthia was able to be taken somewhere safe to where she could give her entire story to the police of how she was kidnapped, held for three days, tortured, by these people and Cindy and David were now in custody. A search warrant was granted and they were able to discover everything in this toy box of David's. And this is the end of part one because that is just Cynthia's story. And we just scratched the surface. There's many more victims and we'll get into what more he has in his toy box and how he's tormented these victims. And even one victim who didn't even know she was a victim until after David was caught. So we'll have part two pretty soon. I know this was a pretty short episode. But I just wanted to get Cynthia's story out. And we'll be back. Well, I'll be back. Because now I'm a solo podcaster without Lee. But that's okay. Also, I saw Lee the other day. She was visiting. Um, and she's good. But life is busy. And she's no longer going to be part of the podcast. But maybe one day she will be a guest. Uh, and that is that. So thank you for listening. And if you have any ghost stories, ghost encounters, crazy stories, or any just anything you want to send in, Go ahead and send me an email over at storyavenuepod at gmail.com and I will read it on the air. Um, so thank you and get ready for part two because it's going to be nuts. Okay, goodbye.